Is St. Nick too violent for Facebook? It appears so. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. Anthony Alegria is not with us today, so I'll be doing his job a bit. And there are more with us here in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. Today we're going to be discussing St. Nicholas uh, being censored on Facebook, the issue with Facebook's moral compass, and seven interesting facts about St. Nicholas that you may not know. So you're kind of gleaming from uh, those things that we are going to talk about St. Nick, who actually had his feast day on December 6th. Yeah, so there's a lot of really interesting things that we're going to be covering today, and please bear with us. It's always weird when we change up the format, though it's great to have someone else here to have a, another voice added in. So recently, in things going on in pop culture and things that the church really should pay attention to, Facebook censored a picture of St. Nicholas of Santa, and it was a picture of Santa next to baby Jesus. And I've got this picture where I can pull it up for you. And now the reason they censored this is they said it was too violent. And basically how this worked is if you were on Facebook, it had a little thing where this, the picture was blurred out and you could click on it and it would allow you to see it. But it also had words over it telling you this content is sensitive and you can't just look at it without basically giving consent to look at it because apparently it was too violent. Now, for those of you who are watching this instead of listening to the audio only, please look at this and tell me what about it is too violent because I look at this and I'm not seeing anything which is exceptionally violent. Uh, other clergy <laughs> gang who is here, what are your thoughts on this in and of itself? Yeah, I do wonder, like, is Santa Claus holding an axe behind him? Or did Facebook see something we couldn't? Uh, no, but um, it, it is odd. And obviously Facebook doesn't have, I guess, the best, I don't know if it's an algorithm or people uh, locked in a cubicle <laughs> trying to decide these things. Either way, um, it, it's very odd that they picked violence as the reason. Um, I, You know, not that I agree with it, but I could get it maybe if they said it was too politically incorrect or something weird like that. Again, I don't agree with it, but I could at least see some kind of logic to that. Yeah, you could, you could have some rationale behind it because you look at this and it's clear that this is not violent. Violet, yeah. Maybe um, it's just red. Maybe because of all the kind of brick red tones that whatever algorithm <laughs> saw it thought it was blood. Too much red. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're going to come back to that after a while. Interestingly, though, Facebook did allow the post to be posted without any restriction after there was a large backlash, which, interestingly, I doubt they would have allowed that to happen if there wasn't a viral backlash towards it. Even here at our own program, if you haven't seen some of our earlier things, we have one out that I think it's podcast 80, 79, 78. Like it's the one that is called The Wise, The Unwise, and The Counterfeit, and Facebook told us that it was too sensational to advertise and things of that nature. Which is just funny because we've also done an episode where there was this skit about a, a murder and there are weapons that are portrayed in that skit. And they didn't they didn't care about that one. That one was fine. That one wasn't too violent or sensational, uh, but the, the other one was. So, yeah, there's some weird things going on with Facebook. Yeah, there really are some weird things going on with Facebook. But anyways, um, in Unholiness Today, which is our segment where we look at some weird and strange things going on. Again, we'll come back to St. Nick in a bit. But... There is a world where there's a lot of depraved things going on. We are Wesleyans. We are proud clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. And there is an alternative to total depravity. People do not have to live a life of depravity. But there are some depraved things which go on in the world, not the least of which are seals with eels. So this is an article that is brought to us from Live Science. So monk seals, which are off the coast of Hawaii, they have been increasingly finding young adolescent seals with eels stuck in their nose. 
Now, this is really bizarre. It's got some of the researchers stumped because they said in the past 40 years of monitoring this, it's something we've never seen. But in the last few years, we've seen it happen once, and then it's happening more and more frequently. It's becoming a really popular trend that these seals will have eels stuck in their noses. Now, depravity is something that a lot of people think is limited to just people. I, I don't think this is the case. I think total depravity can take all of creation, <laughs> including the monk seals. Um, Amanda, what is your thoughts on this? Give us some some hope here. How do we find sanctification and not be seals with eels? Well, when I first heard the story, especially because it's happening with younger seals, I thought of uh, about a year or so back, or maybe it's only been a couple months, I don't really remember, but uh, it was popular for young people. Um, I say that as if I'm 50, but anyways, um, there was some uh, children and teens that were eating Tide Pods as a Tide Pod challenge. So this kind of seems like the seal version of that, uh, how to snort up an eel. Um, but I, I think, yeah, the, the, and the scientists think it's the seals are really bad at hunting. They're trying to eat the seal or the eel. The seal is trying to eat the eel and they miss and they, I guess, just kind of breathe in the, the, the eel. It gets up in their nose. But I'm not sure if there's a too much of a lesson to be learned other than maybe to uh, practice makes perfect. Um, and <laughs> if you accidentally get an eel up your nose, um, try again. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think, Pastor Mike? I don't. Is it stuck? It, you said that they were stuck. I mean, it's like got in there, but they, they are stuck in the nose. Like they, they find them up on the beach, but just like an eel hanging out. Uh, I, I, you know, it's so hideous to look at. I just can't. <laughs> You know, I don't know what to make of it, to be honest. And this is not just one-off. I mean, this is happening over and over again. So I don't know. I I can't, you know, is it the seal or is it the eel that's doing this? And I think everybody come to a conclusion that it's the the, uh, seal trying to eat this eel. I just, whoa, I don't know what to do with that. That's just (laughs) too bizarre. That's where we will leave that story, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't want to be totally depraved, I guess don't be a seal hunting eels. That's that's the best takeaway from that. Moving on to our next story. Um, A while ago, we had a interesting discovery that we discussed on the program. It was a mummified porpoise that actually had a grave carved out specifically for this purpose on a island off of France where there was a little church. The island is called Chapel Domhue, and there was a purpose mummified in a church graveyard. Nobody could figure out what was going on there. Well, not to be outdone, as archaeologists have continued to uncover the, the different things on this church's grounds and its graveyard, they have found a man who was buried in an interesting position, but he had no hands, no wrists or hands at all. And the researchers there have speculated what could happen. They said maybe it's a monk who had no hands. Maybe it was a sailor who fell off of a ship and fish ate his hands and clothing protected the rest of his body. And as he got to the island, the the Christians there that gave him a Christian burial, we don't really know. But guys, what do we think about this? I like um, just because there is so much, so many options for it. And I know Pastor Dill and I were talking, we were trying to speculate and we went from maybe, you know, it was someone who was handless that was given purpose and, 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 an identity as a participant in the life of the church. Um, it, if it was a sailor, that's still somebody who was totally random and unknown. The the monks there decide to give it uh, this person a good and Christian burial. And so there's a lot of like just kind of good things that are coming out of the story. And then one of the more creative spins on it was, uh, I think Pastor Dylan had talked about, maybe it was a heretic that got his hands chopped off by the church. Um, there's just lots of interesting things. And yet with all of this, um, yeah, it's just, it's weird. And also that it's at the same place with the porpoise. Um, but there's something interesting to be said about the church 
giving someone that is nameless and unknown a proper burial, um, that there's respect for human life even in death. Yeah, I agree with Pastor Amanda. It is kind of awkward, but I, I guess this story is, is going to be just buried as well. I mean, your mind goes in all kinds of directions, and uh, who, who knows? And I, I guess we probably will never know exactly unless they find more uh, information. Well, even if we can't figure out what's going on there, we have a pattern. There are very strange, you might call it paranormal things being here on the island. We, we need to speculate what will they dig up next. And if just going off the theme what we have, we have things which do exist naturally. You know, porpoises, they're real things. People are real things. Sometimes people lose their hands. But we have in the past, we've had the, the mummified remains of the church history porpoise. Um, he does come along sometimes to visit us. He has really bad social skills. Maybe he has eels in his nose. I don't know. <laughs> um, his social skills are terrible. But if, in fact, he was a church history teacher and this was a monk, I think we can come to the conclusion that the people on this island they were Christian ministers who were generally rejected from the church at large. They, evidently, this was an ancient island of misfit ministers. No? And if this is the case, we can go ahead and speculate that the next graves will be filled with Orthodox ministers who are preaching the gospel as it is instead of the way people want it to be. Because I think that really stacks up to being the most unfit minister of all, the ones who, who actually do the gospel as it is instead of the way that pop culture desires it. Um, any thoughts from you all? I just hope he wasn't messing around with some eels and, you know, could have gotten, I don't know if their eels are poisonous or not. Evidently, they're not too poisonous unless you get them stuck in your nostrils like a seal. But um, perhaps, uh, you know, it could be any number of things, maybe frostbite. I don't know. Or or I don't know where, where or how he lost his hands or her hands. I think it's a he. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Don't know what to do with it. No one knows what to do with it. It is what it is. We'll be back in a second, ladies and gentlemen, to talk about Facebook and Santa and St. Nicholas and have a serious conversation about that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are coming back. And let's have a good conversation about St. Nicholas. Fanta Facebook, there, here we go. I don't even have the headphones on, and I'm mixing words. Facebook censored Santa um, or St. Nicholas in the name of very vague community guidelines. What I would like for us to do, I want us to have a serious conversation about this, because I think it's indicative of a much larger problem where our culture has rejected Judeo-Christian values, or at least it claims to, but they really have deconstructed it, and they're piece, picking apart the pieces they like, and they're trying to have something together. And there's a big problem where social media platforms, they say, well, we're trying to do away with hate and all of this stuff, which is sort of ambiguous language, trying to replace the language of good and evil. And they don't have a moral compass really capable of doing this. So in the moment where Facebook comes along and they, they say, Santa is too violent, and they do this in the name of vague community guidelines. And you can get out and do a Google search on Facebook's response to this. It's basically a bunch of jargon nonsense, which really doesn't mean anything. It could be interpreted anyway by anybody. And Facebook, it really doesn't have a clear understanding of right and wrong. It kind of has this facade that it understands rights and wrong, but it really doesn't. 
And the great irony about them censoring this picture of Santa is that in real life, St. Nicholas actually was quite famous for punching someone. <laughs> uh, he, he punched a heretic famously. And just food for thought, and I'll send this over to you all for a response. A, a heretic really is someone who is inside the church, and they're trying to redefine what is appropriate theology in the church. They're not necessarily a non-believer questioning the elements of faith so much as they are somebody who is supposed to be a believer, who is coming in trying to, to cast out things they don't like and restructure the church by their own desire. But that brings us to the whole point of the church must have a standard, and people in general, they must have a standard. What are y'all's thoughts on just this idea that Facebook is censoring this, and it's not even a picture of, of St. Nicholas being violent, heresies and all that? Yeah, and, and so I think to kind of you're talking about heresy and what a heretic is, and we've talked about this in the past about excommunication. All those are tools to be used within the church as the church tries to look at itself, to evaluate, to use wisdom, to reform where it needs to reform, to revolutionize where it needs to revolutionize. Um, and so, yeah, St. Nicholas, uh, the bishop um, in an area in modern day, what is now modern day Turkey, um, he was a part of that great council in Nicaea and, and trying to determine what it meant to articulate uh, the nature of Christ. And so this is something that took a lot of years and it actually almost completely divided the church. And Constantine called it because he realized it was also destroying his empire because it was just that destructive. And, and I think that's the thing is when there aren't clear responses to questions, and I, I think to a certain extent, questioning can be good. It helps us discover, it helps us figure things out. But when we don't come up with those clear answers, then the only result is destruction. And I think we can see this in Facebook is they're trying to answer some really hard and difficult questions in our world. So what is violence? What is our response to violence? These are questions that need to be asked, um, but they need to be answered. And Facebook just doesn't have the ability, the resources, the wisdom to give a proper answer. And so actually what they're doing is causing more destruction instead of helping. Any thoughts, Dad? Well, you know, I'm not sure that uh, it's even a violence thing, but there's something there that, that was a red flag for them that they don't like. Uh, I don't think it's Santa uh, or St. Nicholas or however you want. It's more of a Santa Claus, uh, more of the traditional um, uh, Santa Claus look rather than the Bishop St. Nicholas, but I think the manger there, I think, uh, I think that is, it may be more, um, of a, a, a political statement, I would think, uh, against Christ than it would be against Santa Claus. You know, all of that really is very possible. Um, it, it is something which really does leave your mind in a weird place. Well, building off of that a little bit, we really do need to have something helping us understand right and wrong in our world. Facebook it doesn't have the moral compass to do that. It's trying to answer questions, and it really is trying to answer what are legitimate questions, but it doesn't necessarily have the legitimate response. The West, for a while now, has been trying to deconstruct the Judeo-Christian worldview. They've been wanting to take apart the, the church traditions, and they've tried to select which pieces they like. Now, a lot of times this has been framed in saying, we will liberate people from the constraints and barriers of religion. But this hasn't necessarily been the case. The, the constraints and barriers are something that are actually helpful to allow you to build a better life. They prepare you for the world. Now, this is not my example. For the life of me, I can't remember who it was who said it. But I heard someone recently, I think it was actually a, a, a guy who is Jewish, say that the reason that we need constraints and barriers is the same reason we need pants. The constraints and barriers of religious faith are very much like pants. 
Yes, you can go out in your birthday suit, completely unclothed, and yes, when you put on something like blue jeans, they do constrain you. They may not be the most comfortable thing. They, they limit your movement. However, they also protect you from the elements of nature, and they allow you to venture further into the world. And this is the thing. If you're just naked and you're in the wilderness, you can't go through a, a briar patch. You, you're not equipped to deal with you know, freezing temperatures. You don't have something to keep the sun off of you. The constraints and barriers of wearing pants, and a sentence that I never thought would be said on this <laughs> podcast, the constraints and barriers of wearing pants are something which allow you to venture further in the world. And going back to the story of Adam and Eve, when they first realized that they're naked, them putting on clothes is not just an act of shame, though it is, but it, it's more than that. It's also them recognizing we have to leave the garden. We have to leave this clearing we're in, which means we're going to have to be walking through plants, some of which cause allergic reactions, some of which have little predators in them, whether they be something like a, a bird of prey, a cat of prey. You've got all these things which are coming to attack you and wearing clothing gives you protection from that. And it allows you to survive, to go out and gather food and things of that nature. Um, Amanda, Dad, what are your all's thoughts in response to all of this? I think in discussing how our world is changing and moving, um, something um, that I always have to deal with, and, and this is probably just coming from my experience and, and things that I've heard, is, is I've heard a lot of people say, uh, the world is abandoning Judeo-Christian worldview, and what they're really saying is they're losing the traditions that they like. And so I think that, again, we have to go to a place of wisdom, and it, that wisdom starts with who is God and, and the very nature of God and how God interacts with the world. Um, and there are some things from our past very recently or very long time ago that we have to evaluate and say these things need to be abandoned. These are not helpful. They're not good. Um, but our world has kind of done that, but they've gone further and further, further, where instead of just saying, hey, let's like, you know, the Council of Nicaea going back to Santa Claus, instead of saying, let's sit down, let's discuss, let's figure out what it means to speak about Christ. They're like, let's just blow the whole thing up and start from the ground up. And what that's done is then left people. And this has been happening for several generations. This is not a new problem that millennials have created. It's not a new problem that the gen Y or Z or X or whatever letter we're on has created. This is something that really has been happening for decades, if not centuries, of the world saying we've got an issue. So instead of trying to do better, let's just kind of destroy it and, and make up our own, our own worldview. And again, what that leads us with is something very sifting, um, something hard to stand on. It's like um, Pastor Dylan used the analogy of pants, but really it's like saying let's build a house without a foundation. Uh, let's not use concrete or stone or anything. Let's just put up a couple sticks um, and hope it stands. Well, and I think also, you know, with the, the, the pan analogy with the the constraints, it also, you know, the, it, it, the law, if we look to the Old Testament, and, you know, Jesus fulfills the law and, and, and the prophets, but I think uh, the law, we don't necessarily worship the law, but it does provide healthy boundaries, and it not only protects you, but it protects other people. So I guess the pants analogy fits uh, in this uh, in this uh, particular. I, I think it situation. does. The pants do fit. Um, <laughs> another another sentence I never thought I would say on a, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. The pants do fit, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah. Well, moving on to the next bullet point here, and I'm I'm really bad at doing Anthony's job, y'all for another thing. Like I trained Anthony for this job and I'm terrible at it. Um, so another thing that I just want to throw at y'all is I feel like our modern world, and Amanda's right, this has been going on for, for a long time. Um, it's more than really any of the, the generations currently living, clearly. 
But we've got people in a place where they don't know how to value people. And I feel like this is another thing which really causes a lot of problems in our world. We don't have a good standard for valuing people because traditionally in the church, we've understood you were created in the image of God and life is sacred. Now, on top of that, I mean, the world is complex. We are complex beings. While we are created in the image of God, your character does matter. Sin is entered in the equation. Just because you have the image of God there doesn't mean that you're a, a precious little cupcake 24 hours a day. There are times where people do things they ought not do. But the fact that you were created in the image of God makes you inherently valuable. And that is a precious thing. Life is precious because it is derived from God. And God gave us a purpose in that. Well, and, and I think, again, this is something where generations and different movements are kind of in a, an ebb and flow um, where, where people have maybe in the past said you're valued if you're powerful, you're valued if you have things, if, if you look like A, B, or C. And so then the response has come from the next generation or the next group that says, no, 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 you're valued if you look the opposite. And, and I think ultimately what happens in that conversation is they're still, both groups end up being wrong um, because they're valuing people only if you look the way I think you should look. Or you're only important if you think like me, even if I say I think so broadly or, or whatever. And and so there's has to be again, it's it's they're trying to define human value within themselves. And that will always fall short of, of what it means to value others. And so to see each and like Pastor Dylan said, I think we can we can say in the same breath that to be human the recognition that to be human means that there is brokenness, but also to be human means to be created in the image of God. And ultimately, that's what it means to be human. And we should all journey back to that that original um, created image. And we, we can say those things. Those things are kind of in tension with one another. Um, but your value is not based on anything or any way the world decides it is. You, you simply are because you exist. Yeah, and to to build off that a little bit amanda is exactly right pastor amanda hit the nail on the head there um power authority and money are the big ways i see people wanting to say well this group doesn't have power or authority or money and stuff like that but you've got to get back to recognizing that value comes from something deeper than that you're never going to win that game ever um well i i have a you know a great granddaughter just born and uh or not a great granddaughter granddaughter she is great i can tell you that but you know i place so much value in in this little girl she's beautiful and and uh annabelle she's what two days old now but you know she she constantly is changing and for me i i just can't keep my my eyes off of her um i want to hold her i want to i want to just just I mean, just I'm dreaming about building doll houses and things I never would have imagined. But this is the thing. The life uh, that this little child has brought is so important to me. It's given me, uh, you know, new uh, um, imagination, new uh, hope in life. Uh, but at the same time, I'm thinking the world is a really rough place that this child's going to grow up in. And... Uh, it, 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 the challenges are tremendous that she's going to face. Uh, so I, I continue to remember, remember that song, uh, Because He Lives, and the newborn baby and everything like that. Uh, it's because of what Christ has done. So, uh, you know, I think even the, the Santa Claus picture that we looked at earlier has some type of uh, hope for, for even... We don't know that that's Jesus in that picture, in that manger. Obviously, it probably represents him. But for every child... Um, there is great 
value. And I think that's something this this uh, this world needs to do is place great value on on the other. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of that, this, this is a good way to segue straight into our scripture for today. I want us to talk about Zechariah chapter 7, verse 8. And if you aren't familiar with Jolton Church of the Nazarene, where I pastor, we do live um, videos and things like that. Mm-hmm. And we're in a study on Zechariah. Right. And if you do want to find another uh, local church, of course, um, Trinity Church of the Nazarene is also a great place to be. But locally at Jolton, I've been doing a study on the book of Zechariah for a while now with our local congregation in that folds over to the online world as well a bit. There's a theme throughout the Old Testament. And when people ask me about entire sanctification, I actually have an Old Testament place I point people because I think there's a great sentence for this. Um, You find it all throughout the the Old Testament. It's the idea of fearing God, being righteous, and hating dishonest gain. Sort of three folds to that. You find it time and time again. I think the first time it appears is when Jethro is talking to Moses. But, and that's in Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus 18, uh, but here in Zechariah chapter 7, you get the same thing. And in verse 8, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor, and let no one devise evil against another in your heart. So again, you get this theme of recognize who is God, um, this is the Lord speaking to you. The Lord is the one giving you these commandments. You've got to recognize that. And then you've got to go out and you've got to render true judgments. You've got to be people who are righteous. And you've got to show kindness and you're not to oppress people, but also um, don't be devising evil and deal with it when people are devising evil. Don't let that happen. And now where this gets confusing is sometimes there's overlap. Sometimes it's not clear how you show kindness and mercy to someone. I know there's a lot of people who struggle with this, especially within the church when they've got a loved one who's in the hospital and they're like, do we resuscitate them or not? Is there any brain activity? It's a really struggle, struggling place for people to be because they, they want to show kindness and mercy, but it's not clear how to do that. Then you get other times where, again, just to build off some language here, where you've got someone who's a widow, but maybe they're a black widow. Maybe there's someone who fits in this category, but they're also devising evil. And then perhaps to the end of that, where you've got someone who is actually devising evil, but they've coming from a position like, say, they're, they're a pastor devising evil, or there's someone who wears the brand of good. And you're like, you know, King Saul, he's the anointed one of God, but also he's doing some bad things. Do I kill him? How do I react to this? It's not always cut and dry where these things begin and end. But yet God does call us to, to fear him. Recognize that we did not give birth to ourselves. We did not create ourselves. We are not better than the logic of the universe. And also we should be righteous. We should render judgments and people should look at us and say, that person is clearly displaying that they are created in the image of God. And also we have to be active in hating the dishonest gain. When we do see things that are evil, we've got to go out and deal with it. And again, all of this is an adventure. It's a call to an adventure. It's a call to the adventure of holiness. And bad things happen along the adventure of holiness. It's not a guarantee that everything's going to go great, but it does tell us that we have meaning and purpose, and God called us to this. And the problem with things like Facebook censoring St. Nicholas, or really more Santa here, is they don't have a good understanding of what is good and evil and how do they respond to it. So I'll send that over to, to you all. Yeah, and, and I think, again, it goes back to how we how we value people. Um and so, like you were talking about, sometimes things get iffy. If we only value people because we read this verse and, and read it very fundamental in a kind of fundamentalist view, and it says, oh, the widow and the fatherless, we just automatically assume they're all um, whatever, good or bad. 
Um, and then, or vice versa. But if we value people, and again, we can say, just because you value someone, just because you love someone does not mean you permit bad behavior. Um, I think those are bad definitions of both value and love, but that's been thrown around in our culture a lot. Like, you know, um, there's a bumper sticker that aggravates the ever living daylight time. I mean, it says, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. And you're like, no, no, no. So many no's in that. Um, but, and, and I think that's when we see this, how do we, when we get into those gray areas of life where there doesn't seem to be a clear cut judgment that we can make, what do we do? And again, we look back to some of those things we've talked about. First, we start with the nature of God. Secondly, some of us may need another council of Nicaea. I think the church needs more councils. And I don't mean more bureaucracy and I don't mean more annoying meetings where we just sit there and stare at each other for an hour and a half. I mean where we really sit down and we have discussions. If I may ask, do these new council of Nicaea include the um, <clears throat> slappings? <laughs> yes. If we're going to have a count- new council of Nicaea, I think we should be allowed to hit a couple of heretics. Um, I will not obviously be... Um, invited to any of those meetings after making such a claim um and in about a month i have got to go before our our council um and and answer questions about if i am qualified to be ordained and i I promise i won't slap anyone there don't feel bad i don't think that they're going to be inviting me either i think i have too many many cooties yes i think we all will be buried on the island of misfit ministers before too long um which back to that another takeaway from that i know not to jump around conversations one of the lessons that we learned from chapel dom hugh is we are not leaving interesting enough remains behind yes um that being said, <laughs> good statement. Yeah, and I think, but the, I think there's something also very true of that statement that says um, we have a legacy, each and every one of us. We impact the world sometimes in small ways, some in big ways. Um, but if we fear God, if we are righteous, and if we hate um, evil, then we will leave a better impact and maybe some very interesting remains. Absolutely, and I, I like like the you know to pour ourselves into others and invest in them and. Uh, not just the people that we like or love, but, you know, this is talking about the widow, the orphan, the stranger, not to be fundamental like Pastor Amanda said, but who is that in your life? And I think the the big question is, is, you know, there's so many. uh, I think we have to have the the filling of the Holy Spirit to discern because every situation is an opportunity, but, you know, sometimes you just have to, well, all times, you got to have that discernment from the Holy Spirit, but there's going to be different answers for every situation as, as similar as they may look. Um, I think that's where we just got to depend on God's Spirit to come fill us and give us direction. All right. Well, thank you for, for that. We're going to come back and we're going to play Hot Not of Sanctified. And we're going to be listening to a, a list of seven interesting things that you may not know about St. Nicholas. And we'll be back with that after the break. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. And now we're going to play a very fun game. And I'd love for you to send us your thoughts, questions, or comments. Again, you can do that on Facebook. We're on YouTube. We're on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes, CastBox, a lot of different podcasting places. And I'm also on Twitter at J. Dylan Proctor, Kingdom of the Logos. Look us up. 
I want you to send me your thoughts, questions, and comments. Are these things hot, not, or sanctified? Now what this means, if we say hot, it means we like it. It's a good theological inspiration. If we say not, we're saying we don't like it. And if we say sanctified, we say only God can decide. We're not saying the thing is sanctified, we're saying the judgment is sanctified. We're going to do a list of seven interesting facts of St. Nicholas. And now, how we do this with list is you get to say hot could mean that you like it and you like where it's at on the list. You could say not and say, well, I do like it, but I don't like where it's on the list, so I'm saying not. So for something to be hot, it has to be a cool thing that's a positive theological inspiration. It has to be a good place in the top seven things about St. Nick and so forth and so on. I think we generally get the logic on this. People pick it up as we go. So are you all ready for this? Yeah. Ready. All right. Number seven. Sometimes, still used to this day, you will find three gold balls at pawnbrokers and pawn shops. This is a reflection of St. Nicholas, who is considered the patron saint of pawnbrokers. Now, we have a picture of this to pull up for you. You can see them there. I have actually never seen this, but they have three bronze or, or something to that effect, maybe brass balls hanging off next to a pawn shop. And evidently, this is a symbol of St. Nicholas. This is associated with St. Nick. Um, Amanda, hot, not, or sanctified, number seven. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I'm wondering if the Compassionate Act, because it has the three um, gold balls in it, is where St. Nicholas drops um, coins in uh, for the, the three um, young ladies who didn't have a, a dowry. I'm wondering if that's the connection. Um, but I almost want to say not just because how is St. Nicholas, a man who, who exemplified compassion and freely giving associated with pawn shops, which is something that's not usually associated with compassion and giving. So uh, there seems to be a disconnect somewhere there that I, I, I would want to learn more. So right now I'm going to go with not. Not. Uh, definitely not. Well, just for a variety, I'm actually going to say hot, not because I think it's, well, I should probably say not for the same just reason. I think it's a cool piece of history. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think it's a cool piece of history, and I think it's a cool way that even places where you wouldn't think the gospel would appear, its symbolisms are treacling in, and I think that's cool, so I'll give it a hot. All right, number six on the list. St. Nicholas' anonymous gift-giving originated from his hometown of Patera in Turkey. According to ancient tradition... To deliver a destitute family, a that was a family with a widower. It was a father, and he a father, and he had three daughters. Their father was considering having to sell his daughters since he didn't have a dowry. And Saint Nicholas secretly threw three bags of gold coins through their window on three consecutive nights. So, the whole story of Saint Nick giving money to the to the family so that the daughters could have a, a dowry. What do we think about that? Well, I think as far as like the content, it's definitely hot. I would only say not because I think that's such a fascinating fact and so important to the story of St. Nicholas and also the traditions we see uh, during Christmas time. This is why we hang our stockings near a fireplace is because it's believed that um, that was what he did. Like this says it threw through a window. Some tradition says he threw it down their chimney. Um, and so that that is something we practice. And again, as Pastor Dylan was kind of talking about the three kind of gold symbols at the um, pawn shop is even in a very secular world, there's these tradition, traditions that um, speak back into um, who Christ is and who Christ had called Nicholas to be. Um, so I feel like this should be like in the top two or top three. So that would be the only reason I would say not. I'm going to say hot. Uh, I agree with Pastor Amanda. It should be uh, well, higher. If you think it should be list. higher, then you say not. <laughs> not it should be higher. I'm going to go with hot. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, you mean I can go with not? You can, yeah. if you if you think it should be higher, then I'll say go not. with not because it should be higher. Okay, Fair because enough. I think that there's a whole human trafficking thing there that's not really mentioned here. They be sold into you know slavery, but really that's into prostitution. So for me, I think there there's a place there where it should be higher. Um, I agree, hot should be higher. Um, next one, number five. And now that we're at the top five of the list, do y'all want to take your guess at what number one is? Oh, I, I don't know. Well, no. I'll let y'all guess for number one when we're at number okay. two. Well, no, let's guess it now because it may appear before number one, and that way you can be surprised. surprised. What do y'all think number one should be the about St. Nicholas? number one fact about St. Nicholas? Um, I just love the fact that he did slap a heretic, so I, I will always <laughs> make that my number one. They're um, really not going to allow me in here The slap anybody. should be number one. <laughs> I'm going to take a wild guess and say it's a patron saint of children and the barrel where he rescued or prayed and the children were delivered. The patron saint of barrels, ladies and gentlemen, St. Nicholas. It's a bit of a joke. (laughs) No one take that serious. All right, number five, getting through our, our top five now. Okay, so number five is when Nicholas was born, his parents were serving the needs of the sick. They contracted the same disease as some of the sick people they were tending to and died. Leaving him as an only child, he inherited everything. Father Marquis, who is a a Catholic priest, he was talking about this, and he says, St. Nicholas really is the first saint that you can consider a philanthropist. And one of the first really philanthropists we see occurring in, in this sort of fashion. And he took his whole wealth, his entire inheritance, and he used this to, to help other people. Amanda? Uh, I think this is hot. Um, I think it's kind of also appropriately pra- placed because it's a it's a great part of the story of St. Nicholas. And I think also it's interesting that might be a, an unknown fact is a lot of us see pictures of both St. Nicholas and Santa Claus as a very old man, um, the big white hair and beard and things like that. But he really starts off pretty young, um, um, giving all of his possessions to, to help people around him. And so that that's just, I think, a great inspiration. I'm going to say not just simply because it needs to be higher on the list, but yes, it is a great inspiration. Fair enough. All right, number four. This one's great. A pure liquid known as the manna of St. Nicholas, or the St. Nicholas manna, (laughs) has flowed from his bones for 17 centuries. Every May 9th, on the feast of the translation of the relics of St. Nicholas, a Dominican priest siphons the manna from St. Nicholas into a glass vial. The vial is then used to bless the Christian faithful. Amanda, hot, not a sanctified. Evidently. <laughs> I don't even know how to react to this. Like, what? Like, why are we not testing this thing? Like, um, there should be, like, people in hazmat suits and, and figuring this out. Um, now, I agree. This, this is a very interesting fact. So, I, I mean, I think it's fantastic. I would – maybe that should outbeat the, the heretic slapping just because that's so weird. Um, and as far as unknown facts about Santa Claus goes, that, that should be – This this does merit um, hazmat suits and, like, testing. <laughs> I, I want to know, what is this? Like, I wonder if they would let us. Like, if we petitioned the Pope, do you think he would let um, – Three Protestant ministers test the phone to St. Nicholas. I think we're more likely to end up in a church graveyard with our hands cut off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Um, because that's, but true. It, it, yeah. Um, what, do you, what about this Dominican priest that's like, oh, how's your day today? Oh, it's very good. I got to go siphon, you know, some. The bones of St. Nicholas. Yeah, from St. Nicholas. But uh, I'm just. I don't know. If I get a choice, I'm going to just say sanctified because I don't really know what to do with it. it it's 
you know, I have to let God um, make that holy. <laughs> that was good. And, and I'm going to say hot to this. If it's going to be happening, it better at least be a good theological <laughs> thing. <laughs> Amanda, what was your... your... Oh, I, I think I said... I would hot... I said not just because it's so interesting. That one should be number one. I've changed oh, my mind. Oh, okay. Okay. I feel that like makes, that one should be number that's one fair. now. <laughs> that's fair. Um, number three. His reign remains currently are in Barry at the heel of Italy's boot. The Feast of the Translation of the Holy Relics of St. Nicholas, um, when this is celebrated in Italy, the basilica is built as a shrine to him, and this basilica was completed in the year 1099, so it's been there for a while. Uh, there are people who come together for this, and his relics are housed here. If, but if you go back throughout history, these relics have moved around a bit. And, well, I don't, actually don't think we've got a year for this, but Venetian sailors stole the bones of Nicholas from his tomb in Myra and then left behind some bone fragments. In the year 1100, they went back to Myra to collect the remaining fragments. Those fragments are now enshrined in the Church of St. Nicholas in Lido in Venice, Italy. So he's got some remains. They're scattered a few different places. They're not something uncommon with some of the, the saints of old. They've got relics of them. So what do y'all think about this? St. Nicholas, the short of it, he's got some relics, and they're in different places. Um, I think it's just to kind of respond, not only because I think it's kind of sad he's not actually, his relics aren't where he ministered, I, I think. You know, they're in Italy versus he was from what is now modern-day Turkey. And, and so I wonder why that is. And um, I know relics like this, obviously, it got stolen and moved around. But um, I don't know. I think there would be something quite special to actually go to where he grew up and where he ministered and have his relics there. Well, you know, I, I don't know how I'm, – I'm not into, like, alcohol. I'm not that familiar with wines and things. But is is I from what I understand, Italy is kind of known for having good food and good wines and things like that. And you hear that they've got this special stuff that they suck out of his bones. <laughs> and you just have these pieces and I'll... You just leave gonna, those pieces to Leave those pieces people. to yourself. Draw your own conclusions, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah. Dad? Um, not. It's... I guess it belongs on the list, but that's way too high for it to be up there, I believe. So I'm going to go with not. A fair assessment indeed. And I'm going to say not to that as well. I think they should all be together. Um, yeah. Anyways, number two on the list. Candy canes have been in the shape of a cane, which is the bishop's staff. So they've been a staple in America for a while and other places. But they really are derived from the, the bishop's staff, the crozier. And this is where St. Nicholas is connected to candy canes. They're, they're the mm. bishop's staff. So what do we think about that? Um, huh. I would just say not again, because I think then it's too high on the list because it's, it's, it's an interesting fact. But also, um, I've heard another kind of, I guess, the tradition to how we have the candy cane. Um, so I guess candy canes may be those things where there's there's lots of different myths and stories that surround it. We kind of just try to connect it where we want. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting, but well, I don't think it should be number two on the this list. This doesn't tell us why it's red and white. It just says the shape, shape of comes it. from the, the bishop's staff. Well, and that's what I've heard, like, the shapes because it's the shepherd's crook from the story, the Christmas oh. story, or it's the J for Jesus, which actually doesn't make sense because the the J having the just sound is a relatively, um, in the long scheme of things, a modern uh, yeah. translation of that sound. So, um, and then the red and white being uh, Christ's blood and the stripes, uh, by his stripes you are healed and that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I, again, interesting facts. I'm just not sure it should be number two on the unknown Santa Claus list. 
Well, I'm going to uh, find the confession booth. I'm going to say hot because I like candy canes. I think they're tasty. I think they're prominent. I think everybody needs to know the story of St. Nicholas, but also uh, there are many, many stories that go with the candy cane. But I'm just, I'm just going to leave it there as, as hot because um, I think a lot of people do know that. that uh, and we can just say hot to candy canes in general, I think. That's right. Absolutely. I always love seasonal candy. I, I don't care whether it's like a lot of people think the little hearts at Valentine's are, are gross. I love them. Things like candy corn. Bring me the seasonal candy. I like it. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, number one. Are we ready for our... Yes, we are ready for number All one. All right. Number one, St. Nicholas slapping heretics. Told you. Actually, no, that, <laughs> oh. that was a joke. It should be number one, but it's not. This one actually surprised me, though it kind of relates back to that hypothetical one. All right, so the number one interesting fact about St. Nicholas that you might not know is that his name has a Greek origin meaning victor of the people. Hmm. I think then hot, and that's kind of very appropriate for that being the number one because I think that encapsulates slapping the story heretics. of... Yeah, well, it encapsulates <laughs> slapping heretics, but it encapsulates the entire story of St. Nicholas. Um, and again, it's not... Sometimes when we, we hear these stories and we hear the inspiration behind them, um, we try to maybe emulate them so closely that we don't see that St. Nicholas really looked at his world and said, how can I be a means of grace to the people around me? And then we all need that creativity and that wisdom. Um, and we may not do it exactly the way St. Nicholas did it. Maybe we don't need to be throwing uh, gold, bags of gold through people's windows. Though if you want to, I'm not going to stop you. Um, you can come by my house and do that if you like. But no, but we look around and we say, where are the widows and the orphan, the so sojourner, the poor? Um, who are the people in our communities that do not have resources or structures or community that needs that? And how can we be a victor? How can we be a means of grace to them? So I think, yes, this is definitely hot. I'm going to go with hot. Uh, I just want to say ditto. Yeah, she did a very good job explaining why. And I myself, who am doing a bad job at Anthony's job, I agree. I think it's hot. And that's where we're going to end for today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. Again, this is Kingdom of the Logos. Please like our Facebook page. If you like these videos and things, please grab a link, share them with other people. I know Anthony will be back in the future and we'll have a better format to things. But that being said, God love you and have a blessed day.